0: Good morning. Woo! Please find your way back to your seats. While you are, though, you can remain standing. My name is Emily Jones. I'm a member here, and I am also the kids' director. We're going to be reading Philippians chapter 1, 12 through 18a. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, That what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning. I'm so excited to have the opportunity to continue our sermon series this morning We've been blessed the past few weeks to have heard some amazing truths. And today we'd like to continue as we learn about Philippians 1, 12 through 18, as we've just heard from Emily Jones. If you're new here and this is your first time gathering with us, I or one of the other leaders here this morning would love to meet you directly after the service. Thank you for being here. As it is an encouragement to my heart, to have the opportunity to worship with all of you today. A kindergarten teacher was walking around observing her classroom of children while they were drawing pictures. As she got to one girl who was working diligently, she asked what the drawing was, and the girl replied, I'm drawing God. The teacher paused and said, But no one knows what God looks like. And without looking up from a drawing, the girl replied, they will in a minute. (laughs) Thank you for laughing. (laughs) Bad jokes bring me joy. My colleagues always roll their eyes when I tell my jokes, and they say, that was such a dad joke. And I just smile and I go about my day, because a good joke... A good joke brings me joy. My wife brings me joy. My kids bring me joy. Serving this church brings me joy. A great cup of coffee brings me joy. (laughs) Preach. (laughs) Worshiping together brings me joy. In his letter to the Philippians, the Apostle Paul speaks about joy and encourages all Christians to rejoice over and over again, which we have seen in our preaching series entitled, Rejoice, which we will see again today. The title of the sermon being preached today is Joy in Advancing the Gospel. And as we dig deep and explore the text, we will see that while Paul is imprisoned, he is still advancing the gospel as he is encouraging the Philippians to live out their lives, seeking to honor Christ by advancing the gospel. Now, in the same way, I hope that we all would be encouraged to fearlessly advance the gospel regardless of our circumstances, and that we would do so with love and joy so that we can sincerely follow Paul in saying only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Let us pray. God, our Father, creator of all things, true source of light and wisdom, I'm overwhelmed at the thought of teaching on the gospel. I feel so inadequate to deliver something of value about news that is priceless. I'm unworthy to be given the privilege of thinking deeply about news too marvelous for angels to comprehend. Be ever gracious to me this morning and use me as a vessel today as I preach your word. Give me confidence in the power of your gospel, grant me clarity and understanding in proclaiming the truths of your word. Edify your church through this work. Father Almighty, empower your people to tell the gospel story to recount your wondrous deeds which shine light on your glorious and holy character. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. So as I was actually writing the introduction uh to this sermon this week in a local coffee shop, uh, a member of our congregation walked in to the store who happened actually to be watching Justin and Amy's kids this week. If you don't know Justin, he's sitting right here in the front row. He'd love to meet you after the service. He's one of our pastors here. Without saying hi when this member of our congregation walked in and without saying hi, how are you? She simply said, how do you all do it? I mean, I completely get that kids are great. And I love watching and serving, but wow, three, he has three kids, three is a lot. Parenting is no joke. This person will, re- will remain nameless, okay? I don't want to call anyone out. But as I embraced Shelby Krucek, <laughs> and I embraced her with a hug, I told her that everything would be all right. That was... Her husband, who just rebuked me in the middle of the sermon. <laughs> I told her that everything would be all right. And I looked at her and said, how are you advancing the gospel to the kids? I know that I'm preparing for this sermon, and this is on my mind, but serious question, how are you advancing the gospel to the kids? And then I followed up with that question. I said, how are you advancing the gospel to Kevin, whom, which we just heard from, her, her husband, how are you advancing the Gospels while watching over the kids? I encouraged her to embrace the cheerful conversations and, and focus on the time that they have together. And while doing so to be joyful, that she gets the opportunity to advance the Gospel to God's beautiful creations. What an amazing opportunity. Now if you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to please turn to Philippians 1, 12-14. And For those of you taking notes, which I would encourage you to do, if you don't have any place to take notes, if you have your pamphlet this morning, your program this morning, there's a piece of paper in that you can jot your notes down on. I'd encourage you to take notes. We're going to focus our time together, focusing on a few main points. The first point being advancing the gospel regardless of circumstance. So point one is advancing the gospel regardless of circumstance. And the second point being... Advancing the gospel for God's glory. So we have advancing the gospel regardless of circumstance and advancing the gospel for God's glory. I invite you to follow along silently with me as I read the first part of the text, starting in Philippians 1, 12 through 14. Paul writes, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard And to all the rest, that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now picture this in terms of encouragement. Paul is likely facing his fate. He's sitting in a prison chained, probably waiting execution, knowing that the end is near. And instead of writing about his fears and anxiety, which I'm sure that he had, he instead chooses to encourage the Philippians to advance the gospel. Now, when Paul is talking about the advancement of the gospel, he's talking about pushing it forward, seeing it progress ahead. Advance is also a wartime word, a wartime word. So picture a soldier with a sword or machete, clearing brush, just so that they could march forward so that the soldiers could advance, so they could march forward. That's what it means to advance, to move forward. Now, to advance the gospel with joy, you must first know the gospel and simply put, as one pastor says that in one sentence, that the gospel is the news that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died for our sins and rose again eternally triumphant over all his enemies so that there is now no condemnation for those who believe but everlasting joy. That is the good news. That is the gospel, and it is the gospel in which Paul is advancing. You see, as he is writing, he purposefully doesn't want to make his imprisonment a distraction from doing what he has been entrusted to do, and that's to proclaim and preach the gospel under any and every circumstance, regardless of the outcome. This is exactly what he's doing in prison. He's writing to the Church of Philippi, and while making the best use of his environment, he's preaching to the entire imperial guard who have been entrusted to watch over his imprisonment. So as I stated a few minutes ago, we're going to hit on two points today. The first point being... Point number one, advancing the gospel regardless of circumstance. So we need to ask ourselves, how is the gospel being advanced by Paul? How is the gospel being advanced by Paul? Well, we know that while he is doing it, while he's doing it, he's doing it with joy. He says that his suffering has served to advance the gospel. He's, what he's doing right there, what he's saying is that he's rejoicing in the fact that he is in prison. He's pretty much saying that if he had to pick being in prison or not being in prison, he would pick being in prison in that moment. In fact, Paul's imprisonment was the catalyst for the advancement of the gospel. So with joy in the midst of his sufferings, Paul is advancing the gospel, and he's doing it in two ways. He's doing it in two ways. First, he's evangelizing, and second, he's discipling. Paul is advancing the gospel by evangelizing while reaching his fellow prisoners, and as he said, also the imperial guard. Now, that's upwards of 9,000 members of the imperial guard, by the way. So we're not talking about a few here. We're talking about a lot. Just think about that for a second. 9,000. Thousand members of the Imperial Guard, in addition to his fellow prisoners, that he's evangelizing to. And he's also encouraging and discipling at the exact same time, he's discipling the church of Philippi. He's writing the letters to the leaders of Philippi, and he's showing his brothers and sisters in Philippi that no amount of chains. All right, No man of chains are going to rob him of his joy in having the opportunity to proclaim the gospel. Now, Paul could have easily wallowed in his self-pity. Sitting there, it would have been much easier to say, man, I'd rather be preaching in Spain in safety and in comfort. But no, instead he rejoices that Christ is being proclaimed. This is really neat to think about that Paul is writing to encourage the church of Philippi, and 2,000 years later, this same letter has helped to encourage millions through this message. What an awesome reminder that advancement for the gospel is both discipleship and evangelism. Paul, evangelizing to the guard and discipling to the church. Sojourn. Paul may have been chained in the moment, but the gospel never was. Thank you. Amen. (laughs) So here we see how Paul has been advancing the gospel in his circumstances. Again, evangelizing and discipling joyfully, but a question I must pose to you is how do we advance the gospel? Kind of going back to my conversation with the member of the congregation earlier this week. You know, the Western mindset is to wait until all of our circumstances are better. That would be the easy thing to do, and that's what all of us tell ourselves if we're being honest most of the time. But what would it look like instead of waiting for our circumstances to get better, we focused on the sovereignty of God and believed that he is in control of our circumstances? I mean, it's a valid thought. Sojourn, Don't share Christ in spite of your circumstance. Think about how to share Christ in the midst of your circumstance. How would your week look? How would your month look? How would your life look? How would it look different if if you had this mindset? How would thinking about sharing Christ in the midst of your circumstances change how you view your circumstances. When you're in the midst of suffering, are you advancing the gospel like Paul? Is that our aim in life? Is that our holy ambition? I mean, this is how I've seen it in advance in my in my own suffering, and many of you know this because I've shared this with many and many have shared this back with me. It's no it's no secret. I battle anxiety, and God has opened up doors for me to to pastor, to other like-minded individuals who also suffer with anxiety because let's face it, I've, I've been there and I know that I can share my experiences and show how I've been able to turn to the Lord, praise God, and remind others of God's promises in, in those hard moments. And as hard as it is and as fearful as it is to do things certain days to preach, to stand before others, to go to work sometimes, I just smile and I get joy because God is using me as a vessel in the midst of my circumstances so I can pastor and share my experiences to others. And when someone starts to see that holy ambition to advance the gospel in the, mi- in the midst of their circumstance, and I watch their confidence grow, and I watch their fear grow, dissipate, and then I watch them go out and share the good news, man, there's no, there's no greater joy to see someone that God is allowing me to disciple than to see them share their faith, setting fear aside, and placing their strength in the Lord. Hear me when I say that your aim, our aim, is to advance the gospel in the midst of our circumstances, and know that even if you wind up in chains, or if you're in a hospital bed, or your mind is shutting down, the gospel is still advancing. When I think like this, it provides me the greatest hope and confidence in the Word, in the Lord, and in that I rejoice. Sometimes, however, we're hindered in sharing the gospel. When we fear or are governed by fear, not a righteous fear of a holy God, but a fear of man, we are hindered. You see, we fear our circumstances, and we fear man. (laughs) Look, I I get it. I've stood before some of the most innovative, powerful people in the world at my job in Silicon Valley, and also in Germany. But when it comes to someone asking me about the gospel— I tend to sometimes, understatement, experience fear. Are you feeling me when I say that? Am I the only person in, in the room here that experiences fear? What do we do with that fear? Does that fear lead you to run away? Or do you recognize the fear and to depend on the Holy Spirit? It's not, it's not trying to have no fear, because we will have it. Okay? It's what we do with it that matters. I mean, what hinders people from having the mindset from advancing the gospel? Moms in the room, are you advancing the gospel with your kids? Dads, are you advancing the gospel with your wives and also the kids? Working professionals, how are you advancing the gospel at work? Students, how are you advancing the gospel at school? How are you advancing the gospel on the sports field, in the gym, at the coffee shop? I mean, are we crying out to the Lord by saying, Lord, I know you want me to be advancing the gospel. Take my fear for me and give me courage. Two weeks ago, just two weeks ago, I was in an airplane headed to California, second leg of my trip. And I'm a little claustrophobic and was given the window seat. So already I'm thinking to myself, oh, this is going to be a pleasant three-hour, three-hour stretch. I had the window seat. And I was next to this woman, uh, this woman sitting next to me. Her name was Trish. Trish was talking about how she missed her three boys a lot. Uh, The first 45 minutes of the trip, that's all she talked about. Uh, She had been away with them for, you know, for about two hours. They're grown, by the way. It's really interesting. Um, God bless her. She asked me if I had any kids, and I pulled out my phone my wallpaper is, is a picture of all three of my kids. Emma's my oldest. Thomas is my middle. The baby is Hope. And her response, not to push Thomas and Emma to the side, but her response was Hope. What a beautiful name. Was there a meaning behind it? Right there in that moment. Sitting next to the window, two people to the right of me, I'm on the wing of the plane, the engine's roaring. Okay, everyone's already like, oh man, this lady won't stop talking. I knew that when I answered yes, her name's Hope because of our hope in God, that it would propel an almost three-hour-long conversation about the gospel. What was going through my mind when I saw everyone looking at me from the corner of their eyes? What will everyone on the plane think? when I advanced the gospel, which I did, joyfully. Or three weeks ago, I was, I was traveling with an employee. We were sitting in New York traffic, and my employee asked me a really kind question. She said, Why are you always so joyful when you're at work? And I was kind of taken aback by that question. I was like, wow, I, I didn't ex- expect you to ask that. And I knew in my heart that my answer which was Jesus, which was the gospel, could drive her to report me to HR and I could lose my job. Lose my job. Was I fearful in both of those two circumstances? I was, yeah. But I trusted in the Lord and he helped me to advance the gospel. Man, I take for granted that I get to share the gospel in a coffee shop with the GMU rabbi or the baristas or Trish on the airplane or my employee in New York traffic? Because there are some of us that are being persecuted in the world for claiming Christ. And when I think about it, do I have fear? Yes. But compared to others, my fear in my mind is, is a bit minimal when I think about what some are sacrificing to advance the gospel. I want to share a quick story with you real quick um, I read this earlier this week. This story is from Focus on the Family. Um, it's, a, it's a tough one, but I wanted to share this with you. This is taken from Focus on the Family. Pastor Farid ministers are war-torn in predominantly Muslim Syria. Death threats against him are so common, he can't track them all. Except for the one instance That he was able to count them. 30. How did he know this? Because they were spray painted and numbered on the front of his home. Number one, this is how we are going to kill you. Number two, this is how we are going to kill your wife. Number three, this is how we are going to kill your children. The church in the Middle East is under more persecution than anywhere in the world. And not coincidentally, I think the Christian church in the Middle East is growing rapidly. In the midst of terrible darkness, there is a beautiful ray of hope. God is moving in profound ways. It's amazing how God uses desperate circumstances to open people's eyes for the need of Christ. A portion of Pastor Farid's death threats came by text from a man named Rashid. Okay, they came from text, and someone once asks Farid why he didn't replace his phone, Because if, if he did that, Rashid wouldn't be able to terrorize him. Farid said no. Rashid's threats remind me to pray for him every day. Nobody, nobody else will, so I will. But Farid did more than just pray. He went to Rashid's home. Their interaction was intense, to say the least. And as for Pastor Fareed was leaving, he surprised Rashid by saying, "I have a gift for your family." And he handed him a Bible. And in the Middle East, if somebody offers you a gift to your family, you don't turn it down. So Rashid held the Bible with his two fingers, like it was poisonous. And some weeks later, Rashid was trapped in a bombing in Syria. And amidst that bombing, the Quran wasn't offering him any comfort, so he picked up that Bible and read it until 6 a.m. the next morning. Along the way, he fell in love with Jesus. Rashid now writes worship songs for the church in Syria. (sighs) Sojourn, hear me when I say that the persecuted church does not wait for their circumstances to get better. They are advancing in the midst of their circumstances. God is sovereign, sovereign, excuse me, over their circumstances, and He's sovereign over our circumstances. What would God do with us if we had the same perspective towards God's sovereignty as the persecuted church does? Would our outlook change? Would our trust in the Lord increase? I don't know about you, but when I think about this, man, when we're at our most vulnerable state, he is your strength. When you put your faith in him, his strength will help you to propel the gospel, to advance the gospel. It's in those moments when we make more of him and less of us, is when he is glorified. It is when he is glorified, not us. So as we move on from point one, which was advancing the gospel regardless of our circumstance, we move to point two, advancing the gospel for God's glory. So picking up in verse 15, if you'd like to follow along silently with me as I read aloud, I'm going to go ahead and read Uh, verse 15 through 18. Paul writes, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Man, what is Paul's motivation here? I mean, what's happening here is that Paul, Paul is addressing, all right, in verses 15 through 18, Paul is addressing two groups of leaders in Philippi, and they're both proclaiming the gospel. One set of leaders is advancing the gospel out of rivalry and out of envy, probably thinking that because Paul is in prison, that this is their chance to step up into the spotlight. And then there's the second group, and they're advancing the gospel out of encouragement, out of encouragement of Paul's circumstances. And in both, because Christ was being proclaimed, Paul rejoiced. Paul isn't saying That either of these two groups of leaders were preaching a false gospel. That's super important to understand. That is not what is happening. For both groups being referenced, we're preaching sound gospel. So, because of this fact, Paul is celebrating that the gospel is being preached. In the first group, okay, in the first group, it wasn't that a false gospel was being preached rather it was the motive okay it was the motive of those that were preaching was impure not their message you see they were seeking they were seeking self glory versus giving the glory to god so we see what Paul's motivation was but we need to be asking ourselves when we're advancing the gospel, what's our motivation? This is a good place to have a heart check for all of us. It really, really is. I mean, how do we rejoice as a church when the gospel is being preached, whether it's at our church or at another church? I mean, if we're being honest with ourselves, do we judge other churches on their style of preaching or their style of music Are there style of dress? Or the way they say style? Being from Pittsburgh? Do we forget about the gospel being preached? When we're in ministry, Okay, regardless if we're preaching from the pulpit or participating in a Bible study or leading a community group, are we we doing it with the motive to glorify God? Are we doing it with the motive to glorify self. Again, when I'm referring to ministry, this could be when we're serving at the church on Sundays. Okay, kids ministry, hospitality, connect, set up, worship, liturgy, preaching. Forgive me if I, if I forgot something. When I'm referring to ministry, this could be uh, serving at the church on Sunday, witnessing to others, discipling others, feeding and clothing the homeless, The list goes on and on. Our motive should not be focused on self. Rather, our motive should be focused on glorifying God. You know, one of the reasons we pray as a church for other churches each weekend is because we're celebrating and rejoicing that there are other gospel-centered churches advancing the gospel. Do I know the motives? Does Justin know the motives? Does Edward know the motives? Do we know the motives of every pastor and every person doing ministry in those churches? No. At the end of the day, okay, at the end of the day, there is no competition. There is zero competition when the gospel is being preached. That is why we are here. In my own life, I want God's glory to be known, not my own. In my workplace, I want to do a great job as a worker and give God all the glory. doesn't always happen, but I want my coworkers to see Jesus through my actions, rather than seeing me seeking all of the glory. My my motivation needs to be Christ-focused and not self-focused. In moments that my motivation is self-focused, can God use my, mo- my wrong motivation to advance the gospel? When I'm being self-promoting, when I'm trying to advance the gospel to others, yes, of course he can. However, my motives need to be pure to make much of Jesus and not myself. When Paul said, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice, We should think, as Christ is proclaimed in other churches, we too should rejoice. I mean, when you're out there sharing your faith, okay, there are always going to be people with mixed motives that you come across, okay, that are trying to do the same thing. Has anyone ever gone down to the mall uh, in Washington, D.C. to try to give care packages out to the homeless? Yeah, you're not the, only, not the only ones out there doing it. Praise God that you're doing that and thank you for serving. But when you're doing that, are you trying to one-up the person to the, to the left of you or this group over here or that group over there? You see, Paul had joy in all of it because he cared more about the message. He cared more about the gospel than about what the motives of others and their feelings toward him may have been. It did not detract, nor did it destroy Paul's faith. Sojourn, let us be a church that advances the gospel regardless of our circumstances for the glory of God. Let us rejoice and spread the good news that Jesus Christ, the Righteous One, died for our sins and rose again eternally triumphant over all of his enemies so that there is now no condemnation for those who believe but only everlasting joy. That is the good news. That is what we're trying to advance and in that we should rejoice. You know, taking communion... There's another way that we can rejoice as we remember that Jesus sat with his followers in an intimate moment and shared a meal together. And, and during that meal, the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup. After supper, saying, This cup it's the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until it comes. Sojourn, communion is for anyone. Okay? It is for anyone who has put their faith in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if this is your first time at church or if you're a regular attender. If you've put your faith in Christ, then please join us in communion. Come and have your faith renewed. Let this expression of obedience and this expression of faith be a reminder to us that we need to bow before the Lord. And if you're struggling and you don't want to come up right away, and you need to spend some time in your seat praying to the Lord, man, that's awesome. And I would encourage you to do so. I would just invite you to sit in your seat and go before the Lord. And if you need someone to pray for you, reach out to your neighbor sitting sitting next to you, sitting in your row, sitting in front of you, sitting behind you, and ask for them to pray with you in that moment. And when you do so, let them know that you may be hurting, and let them know what you need prayer for. And if you've not accepted Christ yet, I want to invite you to take this time to stay in your seat and reflect on the truths that we have talked about today. You see, taking communion is a declaration that Jesus is our only hope, and that is what we rejoice. We would love to tell you more about Jesus, so after service, if you'd like to have a conversation with myself or with Justin or any other one of our leaders, let us share the gospel with you as it has been shared with us. We would love to do that. And those of you who are taking communion, we have tables in the front, we have tables in the back. So whenever you're ready, please come forward, tear off a piece of bread, and grab a cup. Then you can return to your seat, eat, and drink. And if you're unable to come to the table, please let one of our members know, and they can bring it to you in your seat. Sojourn, advance the gospel and rejoice. Let us pray. Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are, heavy, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Sojourn, remember that we come not because we ought, but because we may. Not because we are righteous, but because we are penitent. Not because we are strong, but because we are weak. Not because we are whole, but because we are broken. Come, for the Lord has prepared his table for all who love him and trust in him alone for their salvation. All who are truly sorry for their sins, who sincerely believe in the Lord Jesus as their Savior, and who desire to live in obedience to him as Lord. We are now all invited to come with gladness, to the table of the Lord. Surgeon, rejoice, and amen.